0: John chapter 15, verse 1 to 16. I'm going to invite you to go there with me. It's great to be back. Thank you for your hospitality and your love and just receiving me again. John chapter 15, verse 1. Those of you who don't know me, my name is uh, Corey and I'm leading and pastoring a church in Melbourne, been coming to Bethany for many years. God's put this word on my heart, it's different to the morning services, but John chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus is speaking and This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends for all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit that your fruit should remain or abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. It's really important that you listen today because I believe that this word is going to be a prophetic word that shapes not only you individually, but you corporately as a service in the coming months. I want to speak to you about position for productivity being positioned for productivity in 2005 I was going through a season of great contradiction and I was asking God for clarity and for direction for my future and God sent me a man of God a prophet who prophesied over me three seasons he said these three seasons are going to repeat themselves in your life There'll be a season of pruning, there'll be a season of preparation, and there'll be a season of productivity. And just when you think that you can't be pruned and cut anymore, God will move you and transition you from that season into a season of being prepared for harvest and productivity. And just when you think you can't be prepared anymore, and like when is the harvest going to come, God will usher you into harvest and when harvest comes, you'll think this is where I want to live forever. And then God will take you back into seasons of pruning. And I've observed that's not just true for me, but it's true for every single person in this room. God will take us through seasons of pruning, preparation, and productivity. Our idea of fruitfulness is never ending productivity. If we could have it our way, we would always have summer. We would always have harvest. We would always have productivity. Everything would be fine. There would be no pain. There would be no wilderness. There would be no issue. But God's idea of fruitfulness is to take you through the seasons of life. Now, understand in Singapore, as in many nations across Asia, there is wet season and there's dry season. In Australia, we have all four seasons. In Melbourne, we have all four seasons in one day. We have summer, we have winter, we have autumn and we have spring. And I remember preaching at a regional church in country Australia and the farmer took me to his land. He talked about the seasons and he said every single season is needed for harvest. You can't just expect to reap and reap and reap if you haven't sown. There are seasons of sowing And there are seasons of reaping. As in the natural, so in the supernatural, God wants to bring productivity into our lives. He's appointed us for it, that we would bear much fruit, but He has to take us through the seasons. And God has a purpose for every season in our lives. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, There is a time and a season for every matter under heaven. And we've got to identify the season that God has us in. Because if you don't identify the season that God has you in, ignorance of your season can produce disillusionment. You could be expecting harvest in a season of pruning. And you could have spent so long in the wilderness, in the pruning and cutting seasons of your life, that you're not expecting fruitfulness and productivity to come. And God's saying, I want you to lift your vision. I want to usher you into a season of harvest and fruitfulness. But you've lived so long in the wilderness, you don't know how to live in the promised land. We've got to identify the season that we're in because seasons contain boundaries. There are certain things that can only happen in certain seasons. You might be trying to reap in a season where actually God has asked you to sow. To sow in study, to sow financially, to sow physically, to, to sow into your spiritual life. You see that many, many years ago before I started preaching were seasons where God wanted me to spend lots of time studying, studying, studying and praying and filling up my spirit and my mind with the word of the Lord. But then there were other seasons where, yes, I did pray and I did study, but I had less time for that because I was preaching more. Every season has a purpose in your life. You can't sort of make a season happen. God is the author and perfecter of seasons in our lives. And every season contains boundaries. If you align the right action with the right season, you'll get the right outcome in that season. But if you don't align the right action to the season that God has you in, then the purpose of God for that season will be delayed. And there is nothing more frustrating than delayed purpose in a season for your life. I remember when I was a intern 20 years ago at my local church and I started to preach a little bit and they um, had a conference coming around and it was in the, the day and age not of podcasts or CDs but tape cassettes. Does anyone remember cassette tape season? And so I had a few of my messages recorded on tape cassette and I said to the pastor, I said, hey, we've got conference coming up. Can I sell some of my preaching series on cassette tape? And he looked at me with a smile that sort of said, oh, you've got a long way to go and a lot to learn. And he said, son, I love your faith. I love your passion. But this isn't your season for that. Your season is to prepare for what God's got for you in the future. And I had to learn that there was a certain season for a certain action. God's intention for every single person in this room is fruitfulness But your job is to position yourself in the season that God has you in. And you're going to align the right action with the right season in your life. The key question that we need to ask ourselves today is, are we as animated in pruning seasons as we are in the harvest seasons of life? Because this is what I've learned. Anybody can have a smile on their face and a spring in their step and an excitement in their heart when the bank account is full and when the family is healthy and we're all going to Disneyland for a holiday and the church is overflowing and the job is going well and the boss wants to give you a promotion and everything is amazing. Anyone can smile, anyone can laugh, anyone can look like they're having a great time in harvest seasons. But are you as animated, expectant, full of faith, full of vision in the pruning seasons of life as you are when everything seems to be going your way. You've got to understand something about fruitfulness. God rewards all fruitfulness with pruning. I'm just here to encourage you. God rewards all fruitfulness with pruning. The Bible says in verse 2, every branch that doesn't bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes or He cuts. The lesson is is whether you produce fruit or not, we are going to get cut. So you may as well get cut for producing fruit, not cut for being fruitless. In the kingdom of God, pruning is a reward, it's not punishment. And it's so important and it's so careful in a season of transition that you don't misinterpret the pruning and the cutting seasons of what God wants to do. I remember I went through a season in my life and ministry. In fact, many, many of these seasons have happened and come and gone and will still come and go. But I was in a season of real pruning, but I misinterpreted the purposes of God. And I said to God, God, why are you punishing me? What have I done wrong? And the Lord said to me, son, I am not punishing you. I am pruning you and I'm preparing you for greater productivity to come. And the picture that God showed me was of an archer with a bow and an arrow. And the Lord said to me, son, I am the archer and my word is the bow and you are the arrow. And just when you think that you are going backwards and you think, what's happening in my life, this is a paradox, this is a contradiction, the Lord says, what I'm in fact doing with my word is pruning you, cutting you back, so that I can propel you forward like an arrow into the purpose and the destiny that I have with you. You see, you've got to understand something, God's cutbacks are never setbacks. God is simply setting you up for a comeback. And some of you have been cut back. And some of you feel like God has punished you. He has not punished you. He loves you. He disciplines us for our good. He prunes us because His intention is fruitfulness in our lives. I want to encourage you today, never allow life's contradictions to shape an inferior view of who God is in your life. Many of us go through setbacks, many of us go through all sorts of things that is contradictions and we form an unhealthy perspective of who God is. Never draw a conclusion about God's intention for you based upon a contradiction. God did not send that sickness, He is known as the great physician who heals. God did not send that lack. He is the one who shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. If there is lack in your life, if there is a contradiction in your life, it's just more opportunity for the glory of God to be manifest and seen in that situation. Hold a healthy view of who God is in the midst of the contradiction. Is this helping anyone today? The word pruning. Now, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm not the best gardener. You know, I'm not uh, like a massive horticulturalist, and and uh, and so when you lack revelation on something, you consult the next best thing, Doctor Google. And I consulted Doctor Google, and I studied pruning. And what does this mean? And I want you to hear this definition, not in the natural, but in the supernatural. This is what pruning means. Pruning is the selective removal of parts of a plant not needed. It involves the cutting of branches shorter or off altogether. And the reason is that it removes dead wood and it prepares the plant for a harvest of both quality and quantity of fruit. Pruning prevents breakage under the external elements and will ultimately determine the productivity and longevity of the fruit. In other words, you can't have a greater quality of fruitfulness in your life if you don't go through seasons of pruning. How does God prune you? He prunes through His Word. Notice in verse 3 of this passage, Jesus said, You are already clean Because of my word. Do you know the root Greek word for pruning and for clean is the same Greek word? Meaning that God is saying, I use my word to cleanse you. I use my word to prune you. God uses his word as the preached word, the prophetic word, to prune us in our lives. God prunes through his voice. An example of this is with the Apostle Peter. In Matthew chapter 16, Apostle Peter gets a revelation from heaven that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the son of the living God. And Peter says to Jesus, you're the man, you're the Messiah. I believe it. And Jesus said, heaven, uh, sorry, flesh and blood did not give this to you, but my father who is in heaven gave this to you. It took like five verses for Peter to go back into the flesh foot in mouth disease, Peter. And when Jesus said that he must die on a cross and be crucified for the salvation of humanity, Peter said, oh no, that's not a good thing. That's not going to be good for business. I mean, if you die, this whole thing shuts down. This is not good. And Jesus looked at him and he used his mouth to prune Peter's heart he brought out a big pair of big shears, clicking shears of big scissors, and he began to prune Peter's heart. And he said, get behind me, Satan. Now it's a bad day when Jesus looks at you and says, get behind me, Satan. It's a bad day. But Peter, he had the right heart and intention But he was immature in his faith. And where there is immaturity in our lives, God has to prune our hearts. He has to cleanse our hearts with his word. When God God prunes you, excuse me, he's adjusting your value system. Many of us are, are conformed to the value system of this world. We're conformed to the pattern of this world. And the Bible says, don't be conformed to the value system of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. If, you're gonna, if your value system is going to become the value system that's reflected by heaven, God is going to have to prune our hearts. He's going to have to wean us off an earthly value system in in order for the values of the kingdom of heaven to live and manifest in our lives and how you respond to the pruning will determine how long you stay in the pruning season. Have you ever just, you know, just gotten sick of going around the mountain and going around the mountain and going around the mountain and you just decide, you know, I want off this mountain. I want off this mountain of lack. I want off this mountain of learning. I want off this mountain of pruning. Well, How you respond to God in the pruning seasons will determine how long you actually stay in it. You see, the right response to pruning is not resentment. Many of us are resentful towards God. But the right response to pruning is to remain connected to Christ through the pruning season. Fruitfulness is dependent on your relational connection to Jesus. That's why Jesus said in verse 4 and 5, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Whoever abides in me and I in them will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. It's so important you understand the fruit you produce is determined by the source that you're connected to. So here's the lesson. If you don't like the fruit that you're producing from your life, you better go and check the source of information that you're connected to. If you don't like the fruit that's being produced in your marriage, check the source that you're connected to. If you don't like the fruit of your behaviour, your attitudes, your relationships, check the source that you're connected to. And what Jesus is trying to do in our lives, he's trying to bring us into the same dependency that he had with his father. Jesus said, I can only ever do that which I see my father doing. He's trying to bring us into the same dependent, abiding relationship that he had with his father. You see, every breakthrough in your life requires total dependency upon God. Every breakthrough in my ministry, every breakthrough in my family, every breakthrough in my finances required total dependency. When I left the police force to pick up the call to preach the gospel full time. When, when I planted a church with 13 people and no money in a lounge room, when we were believing God for a building and God said, I want you to run from Sydney to Melbourne over 1000 kilometres to raise the money. When God called us to go itinerant and go travel the world and no one was paying my salary except the, the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's a good boss to work for. And when God asked us to leave a fruitful, successful itinerant ministry and go lead a, a, a church in Melbourne and see revival come to the city of Melbourne and Australia. Every single breakthrough in my life required total dependency. And as long as I was holding on to my season or the things that I thought that I needed, it's like breakthrough did not come. But the moment I released control, the moment I let go, and the moment I said, God, do whatever you want to do in my life. My life is yours. I surrendered to you. Blessing, breakthrough, fruitfulness started to come into my life because I was more enamoured with God than I was with the breakthrough. This is so important. Jesus puts you in a position where you can do nothing in your own strength, but He requires everything from you. Have you discovered that? He puts you in a position where your back is against the wall. I can't do anything in my own strength. I'm totally dependent upon you, God. And then He says, and I expect 100% fruitfulness. You know the parable of the talents? The minimum expectation of fruitfulness in the parable of the talents is 100% fruitfulness. The dude with one talent supposed to increase it 100% to do with two talents and so forth. If you went to your boss and your boss required 100% profit return in the next financial uh, year, you'd be like, I'm going to get another job. Am I right or am I right? (laughs) I've got one witness down here. I mean, you'd be like, this is too hard. This isn't going to happen. But we serve a King of kings and a Lord of lords who expects 100% fruitfulness and then says, but you can't do it in your own strength. Because it's impossible. He says, but as you live in dependence upon me, I'm going to give you the tools. I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to give you the wisdom. I'm going to give you what you need to walk in greater productivity and fruitfulness in your... The only way to walk in God's breakthroughs that he has for you is total dependence upon God. You see, our dependency upon Jesus is actually demonstrated through our prayer lives. God's answers to your prayers are actually conditional upon your connection to Him. That's why it says in verse 7, If you abide in me and I in you, ask whatever you wish. That's prayer. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The fruit you produce are God's answers to your prayers. Now you need to understand something about your prayer life. Your prayer life is is not about the answers. Your prayer life is about your connection. If you get enamoured with the answer to your prayer more than you do with the connection with Jesus, the answers dry up. Because God is not interested in what you're achieving, God is interested in who you're becoming. He is more committed to you becoming more like Jesus than He is you simply getting answers to prayer. I mean, if it was only about answers to prayer, then it wouldn't have to be about a relationship. And some of us are only in love with God's blessings. We're not in love with Jesus. We want his blessings. We want his hand. We don't want his face. And if all you want is his blessings, then you're missing out on what's most important. What's most important is your connection. And abiding in Christ, being connected to Christ, will naturally lead to praying the desires of God's heart. You know that passage of Scripture, Psalm 37, 4, that says, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. We think, well, I turned up to church today, and I even thought about lifting my hand in worship. And it was a really good thought. I didn't lift my hand, but I thought about it. And so because I've come to church, and because I've given him the offering, and because I have graced God's house with my presence, God is now obligated to perform on my behalf. And because I've earned his favour through my legalistic act, then God is required to do whatever it is that I want him to do. That, that that's, Delighting in God and him giving you the desires of your heart doesn't mean that you perform religious acts and then whatever you desire, he gives to you. This is what it means. The the word delight literally speaks to us about intimate connection, worship. And in that context of intimate connection and worship, and as I submit to the Lordship of Jesus in my life, And every day He is the air I breathe. Everywhere I go, I'm dependent upon Him. And as I'm dependent upon Him, out of intimate connection and worship, God plants His desires in my heart. And literally His desires start to bubble up in my spirit. And what happens is in prayer and in intercession, his desires come out of my mouth in the form of intercession. And God says yes and amen to the desire that comes out of my mouth that's been birthed in his heart, in my heart. And he says yes and amen to the will of the Lord that comes out of our mouth. It does not mean that God is obligated to give you whatever desire is in your heart. His, that desire that's in your heart must be in alignment with his will for your life. You won't know what is God's good, pleasing and perfect will if you're not walking in intimate connection to Jesus Christ. That's why friendship, not servanthood, is the fountain of fruitfulness. Friendship, not servanthood, is the fountain of fruitfulness. Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants. This is so important. For the servant doesn't know. The servant lacks revelation. The servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. You see, we hear a lot about servanthood in the church, and it's good, it's important. Jesus said, The greatest among you will be the one who serves. If you want to see someone who is truly great, look for someone who has a heart to serve someone who has a servant heart, someone who has a servant spirit, that's true greatness in the eyes of God. We hear a lot about servanthood in the church. The reality is this church wouldn't be where it is without people carrying a servant heart, serving the house. This service would not exist today without people carrying a heart to serve and do what God has called them to do. But you've got to understand something. The emphasis in the gospels is not on servanthood, it's on friendship. And the reason is, is because only friends get to receive and share the secrets of heaven. Who would you rather share secrets with? A servant or a friend? I don't know about you, but I'm not going to share a secret of my heart with an employee or someone who is an acquaintance that I don't really have a friendship with or a relationship with. But you get a friend in my world and in my corner I want to share a secret. Why? Because trust has been built. Because there there is a connection. There's a purposeful connection in that relationship with. Well, you need to understand something. God is the same. He doesn't share secrets with servants. He shares secrets with friends. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus visits Mary and Martha's house. And he turns up with his disciples. Whenever Jesus came to your house in the Gospels, it wasn't just Jesus. It was his disciples and the 72. So you better be ready to have a banquet. Talk about food. It's on, right? So he turns up to Mary and Martha's house and Martha starts to freak out. How are we going to feed all of Jesus' disciples, all of Jesus' ministry team? There's 72 of them. How, what, what are we going to do? And Mary's like, oh, don't worry. It'll take care of itself. And so Mary goes and sits at Jesus' feet in the living room and just listens to his teaching. She builds a friendship with Jesus before she engages in servanthood for Jesus. Martha, on the other hand, her first priority is serving Jesus, not building a relationship with Jesus. So she starts running around the house and she's getting all anxious and all troubled. And she runs past the living room, looks into the living room and sees her sister Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha says to herself, this is in the original Greek paraphrase, what a lazy bum my sister is. I mean, what is she doing sitting in the front of Jesus and she's not serving, she's not helping, oh, she's so lazy, this is typical of Mary. And Martha walks into the living room and starts to get angry at the Messiah, the creator of heavens and earth, who is holding the molecules of her body together by the power of His Word. And she looks at Jesus and starts to command Jesus to perform for her. And she says, Jesus, tell my sister to get up off her lazy blessed assurance and to come and serve with me, your disciples, to get the banquet ready, to get everything ready. And Jesus just looks at Martha and says, Martha, Martha. Now in the Gospels, when Jesus uses your name twice, it means listen up. I'm about to bring the smackdown upon you. I'm going to teach you something here. Whenever God says your name twice, He's trying to get your attention. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, and it will not be taken away from her. What was the good portion? that would never be taken from Mary and it'll never be taken from you. It's time invested into the secret place of intimacy with God. Our works, if it's not directed from a pure heart and a pure motivation on the day of judgment and the day of fire will be tested by fire. Our works could be burned up. But what will never be burned up is a pure heart that invests time and energy into the presence of God. Time in the presence of God will return to you with compound interest for all eternity into your life. And some of us are busy with our lives. We're trying to build our careers, look after our families, sustain our dreams and our visions. But we're neglecting the most important thing in our life. And that is intimate connection, building our friendship with Jesus. Servants lack revelation. They don't know what Jesus is doing. Friends live out of revelation. Jesus said, all that the Father has shown me, I am giving to you. Why? Because you're my friends. You see, God does everything in our lives for the purpose of fruitfulness. Even the things that seem to be a contradiction. Even the things that seem to be, I don't understand it doesn't make sense. God is working behind the scenes. Jesus says, by this in verse eight, my father is glorified that you bear fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Verse 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. You know, <clears throat> many of us get discouraged by a lack of fruit. And we draw conclusions about life based upon what we can't see. I understand that. I've been there many times. But I just want to encourage you today, never forget that fruit is made in the valleys of life, not on the mountaintops. If you go to the top of a mountain, let me tell you right now on top of Mount Everest, there's no fruit being produced. But if you were to go into the valleys, I'm telling you there's fruit there. It's in the valleys of life that your character starts to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Not on the mountaintops. The mountaintops are those pinnacle moments where people recognise and see all that God has done in your life in the past. It's the Instagram highlight reel of what God's been doing or what's been happening in your life. No one wants to Instagram the valley moments of their life. That's why it's so silly to compare your life and your season with someone else's Instagram highlight reel because it's not really real. You're only seeing the mountaintop pinnacle moments. God wants to even, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he will be there with us. You see, um, three years ago, my 59-year-old mother passed away, wrestled with a lung disease for 20 years. She died way too soon and for 12 months I went into a valley of great grief. I mean so bad was the grief that I'd never suffered from anxiety attacks or panic attacks before but I took my family to, on a holiday to Disneyland in the States And I'm in Disneyland. This is a true story, by the way. I'm in Disneyland at Mickey Mouse House and I'm having like a panic attack in Mickey Mouse House. This is how bad the grief was. You can laugh. It's okay. I've gotten over it. And so (coughs) I'm in Disneyland. This is supposed to be the happiest place on earth, so they said. But all I want to do is go back to the hotel room and crawl into my bed and just cry and, and grieve over the loss of my mother. I had anxiety. I had anger, not towards God, but just at the situation. And there was a whole lot of other extenuating circumstances that um, impacted my mother's death. And I remember I came back and I met with a counselor, a Christian counselor, and he began to take me through my valley. And he said to me, son, he said, I want you to write a letter to your mother. And I want you to write it from your heart. Don't filter it don't cut anything out, write a letter to her, tell her everything, the things that you love her for, the things that you're angry about, the things that you regret, the things that you wish could have happened, just pour your heart out. Well I did that, it took me maybe 30-40 minutes to write this letter, double-sided A4 piece of paper and I took this letter to her site, and I began to read this letter and as I began to read My heart was just broken with grief and emotion. It took me two and a half hours to read this letter out metaphorically to my mother. Her spirit was not there. She's in heaven having a party. But I was reading it to her as like she was there in that moment. And at the end of that two and a half hours of reading that letter, the therapist told me to burn that letter. And I literally burnt it at her burial site. And as the letter began to be turned into ash... The whole, the brokenness, the woundedness that was in my heart became completely whole. I literally felt it was almost like my heart completely healed in that moment. And from that day... I've never had anxiety, I've never had pain, I've never had grief in my heart about the valley season of the loss of my mother. I miss her, yes, I love her, yes, but I can move forward into the future of what God has called me to do and of what God wants to do because God knew that something needed to happen in that valley season of my life and after that moment, the fruit of my ministry exploded again. I saw more people saved. I saw more churches move forward. I saw God more more open doors than ever before. Why? Because in the valley seasons of life, I recognise God has still called me. God still wants to heal me. God still intends fruitfulness and productivity to come into my life. And it's not over. And some of you are in a valley season today. But you're drawing wrong conclusions about where you are. I'm coming to you today. The Lord has sent me to you. And He's saying, whatever season you're in, whether it's a valley or a mountaintop, these things God has spoken to you, that your joy may be full, that your joy will be overflowing. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength no matter what season. You find yourself in. God's purposes for your life are not cancelled out just because you're going through a valley. He said to Israel, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and plans to give you a future. This is the word of the Lord to you today. This is the word of the Lord to this service It's the Word of the Lord to your life and your family that God is wanting to position you for productivity, but He'll take you through seasons of pruning and preparation in order for harvest to be seen in your life.